Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. All right. All right. Here we are. We're doing the uh, casual Sunday. <laughs> I feel like there, there needs to be an alliteration to because to, casual Sunday, it's like it should be like uh, it should be like a simple Sunday. <laughs> simple Sunday. Simple Sunday. No. Nah. No. But you know what I mean. Yeah. The alliteration in the title. Uh, I get it. Right. Yeah. Makes it easier to say. I suppose so. Mm-hmm. It's just the uh, presentation side of me that's. Uh, that's looking for that. Anyhow, we'll, we'll figure it out. I mean, the point is, is that there is no point. <laughs> there is no point. There's no point. We're just going to talk about some stuff and hopefully stumble upon something decent. <laughs> <laughs> something decent. Not even, not even something that's like, that's great. Something decent. Something decent. But you know, one thing I can, uh, maybe I'll just share because we were just talking about this before was, um, and, uh, it, with acting, for example, you know, which I spent, a lot of my, a lot of my life training and doing it. And it was very important to me. It still is very important to me, but I had this realization, um, about how I used to see myself when I was younger as an actor and how I see myself now. And part of my struggle now is the awarenesses that I have now. If I, I almost struggle with the fact that I wish I had that awareness back then, because if only I could have seen myself because I was so hard on myself. I, I, I always, you know, and then this is the big thing that, that I wanted to just say was that, you know, so much of my life, I felt like I wasn't good enough, you know, and not just not good enough as an actor, not good enough as a person. You know, I struggled with that my whole life and, and it was a lot to do with value and, uh, you know, I guess wanting to be liked and accepted and loved and whatever. And, um, and I think with acting, I brought that story into my acting and I didn't feel good enough. I didn't feel like I was good enough as a person to even be an actor. Like I felt like some people were maybe special and they had it and I didn't, you know? And I think what I've realized as I've gone through this process and what I've realized now is that it is so not about how good enough you are. Even if you weren't good enough, it really doesn't matter. And the discovery that I realized was that it's just how truthful you're willing to be. And the only difference between, I think, a really great actor, a good actor, a not so good actor is how much truth do they bring to it? How much consistent, vulnerable, honest truth connected to the moment, you know, with understanding the scene, obviously, but that's the stuff I think you learn in school. You learn how to understand the scenes, you practice, you, you work your body and your craft and all that. So once you, that stuff's the easy stuff. Yeah. The big thing is setting your ego aside, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's, I, cause I had a lot of teachers who used to say, so it's like, Oh, it's like, if you want to be a great actor, you've got to, you've got to check your ego at the door. Right. It's like, Oh, okay. It's like, you know, you've got to be, you've got to be willing to, to, you know, embarrass yourself. Right. That's kind of what I always thought it was, mm. you know, it's just like, Oh, okay. Yeah. So you've got to be afraid to, you know, not be afraid to, to make a fool of yourself. All right. Fair enough. But I've, I have realized since then that it means so much more than that. Like it's so much more. It's like, okay, yeah, I'm not, I'm not afraid to, you know, fall on my ass and, you know, have people look at me differently. It's like, that's such a small part of it. Um, you know, like even, 
and and we all deal with it. So it's like this is going to sound like I'm not picking on you, but just to use your, <laughs> but just oh, to boy. use your example, you know, it's like you probably to a level, and I'm sure you would even you can even admit to it. We'll find out in a moment. Okay. Um, <laughs> that you know all of this stuff about not feeling good enough and about you know uh, this struggle that you're carrying with you. I'm sure that in a lot of your work, that was actually kind of coming through in your work hmm. in a way where it's just like, Oh, I don't feel good enough. And that starts to permeate what you're doing Absolutely, when I you're on stage. And then, yeah. uh, but you know, I know I've, I mean, I've seen your work and I've seen you do really terrific work and you know, the times when that stuff, that's, that's like those things that they don't tell you about as the ego as things that are coming into your work, mm-hmm. you know, like when you're stepping into a scene and, and if you have this in your head about being good enough, you know, like, Oh, well, people think I'm good. Well, that's, you know, that's, that's the same thing as, you know, it's like, Oh, it, it goes beyond just like, Oh, you know, I, I blundered this or this happened or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. That's kind of actually very surface. Mm-hmm. You know, that's very surface in terms of like, oh yeah, you screwed up a line or, you know, you forgot a line or you, uh, you know, maybe an accident happened and you like, you like slipped or you banged like your leg against the table and, and it's like, oh yeah, like, you know, you don't let that get to you. Yeah. That's, that's part of it for sure. But it's not the whole, the whole thing. It's those really, those, these deep things that we have. Yeah. That, that can enter into your work. And it's that, that self-awareness, that, that self-observer, that, that part of you that is kind of judging you even before you've stepped out, mm-hmm. you know, and saying like, Oh, like, like, Oh, I, 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 I want to be good. I want people to really like this and this and that. And it's like that, that's going to work against you. That's, that's poison. Mm-hmm. That's poisonous to you as well. You know, there's, I don't think there's really necessarily any way that you can shut off that voice, but you can choose not to give it your attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, well, as you get, I mean, I don't know, I guess if you give up on something, you're never going to grow over a lot of these things. But if you persist with something and, you know, you keep showing up and you keep working at it, eventually I think you kick down the door, but um, you know, like, and I mentioned this in one of our earlier podcasts, a teacher we studied with Nathaniel DeVoe, and he's, that was his comment. He said, there are no better actors. There's only more truthful actors. And I mean, I heard that comment, like, I don't know what, like, it almost feels like seven, eight years ago. Yeah. I mean, no, I, I, like cause we both studied with Nathaniel yeah. and, uh, I remember him saying that as well. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that always stuck with me well, too. My point was, you know, you're talking about ego and some of these acting teachers and, and just people who are trying to mentor with acting, I think they're, they're trying to communicate the message. I think sometimes we're all receiving it with a little bit of confusion. I don't know if we understand what they mean, but like, Oh, go out and embarrass yourself. Be willing to embarrass yourself. Embarrassment is really just the admission of who you really are. And people don't like to be embarrassed because they've been hiding who they really are. And the moment that you see who you really are, it's been exposed. So it's more truthful. So the reason when they're saying be willing to be embarrassed, they're saying be more truthful, be you, you know, don't try to hide who you really are. But the thing is, if you're not in life 
hiding who you really are. You're not going to feel embarrassed. And therefore, it's a lot easier to just be truthful and to not seem that you'll have an ego. I think that when people have a lot of things that they're trying to do to be cool, to appear a certain way, to appear attractive, to appear together, that they do everything swiftly and perfectly and they're never clumsy. When you do that, you hide who you really are. And now it becomes this very false presentation of yourself. Yeah. And I mean, you've, and you're also not being present and aware of what's happening to you because you've become very self-aware, very Mm self-focused in your direction. And yeah. And I mean, uh, the number one, most important thing about acting is get the focus off yourself. You know, get the focus on what are you doing? Who are you talking to? You know, if you, if you're focusing on yourself and you're focused on how you look or if you're doing it right or doing it well, or what people are thinking about you, then you're, you're definitely disconnected from the scene. The only thing that matters is really ultimately usually the other person in the scene or, and, or what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, and if you put total focus onto that, um, I think that the whole, the whole process starts to take care of itself. You know, Matthew Harrison would say, another teacher I stay with, he'd say, everything he's, you want to think of it this way. Everything that I say in an acting scene, if I'm acting in it, everything that I say doesn't matter at all. I just say it. I just say my line. That's it. But everything they say matters as though it's the most important thing I've ever heard in the world. Yeah. And if you treat it that way, I think that there's great results. But I think when, when, you know, sometimes, and I've done this before as an actor, and I know this is very common with actors where they think about, Oh, I got to remember the line. I got to make sure I say it right. I'm, you know, if you're thinking about how you're going to say it, I'm not thinking about how I'm going to say this right now. I'm just saying it. I'm trying my best to communicate an idea. And all that matters is that you're looking at me right now and you're listening. And I can sense that there's this mic here where people on the other side are listening. Maybe there's no one doesn't matter, (laughs) but everything like that I just went through right there just happened. It wasn't like I was going to laugh at that moment and do this thing. And you know, not that anyone can see this, but wave my hand that way when I did, you know what I mean? It's just happening because this is where I'm at and that's how I'm trying to communicate. Yeah. And I mean, uh, my, my Meisner teacher and, and mentor, Larry Silverberg, and he used to, uh, like he, he would do, uh, an exercise with us, um, where, where he would, he called it the, um, the joyous object. And so we would all personally like bring in a personal item that, that brings us joy. And, uh, everybody gets like a minute and you stand up in front of you and you talk about this object and why, it, you know, what it is and why it brings you joy. And by the end of it, not only have you just gotten a very interesting look into somebody, you know, you learn something about the other people that you're about to work with, but, uh, it was also a lesson. And what he was communicating was that we, when we were talking about these items, we didn't really, we weren't thinking about, Oh, how am I going to, how am I going to do this? How am I going to like, we, and I think I've touched on this before, but he used to say acting isn't showing it's knowing we didn't have to think about how we were going to describe this thing. Exactly. Maybe we'd thought a little bit about what we were going to say, but the thing is, is that we know what it means to us we know what it means to us. So we don't have to think about what it means to us because it's, it's in us. Mm -hmm. And that was 
an example, which is like, this is what we're striving for in our acting. This is what we want to get to mm-hmm. where it's just like, we know what everything means to us. And then we can be present. We can be completely present because it's just, and, and be able to trust that and then be able to be completely fully alive and aware mm-hmm. in the moment, every single moment. So when something happens, it doesn't matter if something different happens because you know what that's going to mean to you. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you rehearsed it and it came out this one particular way a hundred times, maybe this next time something different comes at you. Right. You know, somebody like, like the moment changes somehow and now they've got a, a comp- there's something completely different behind what they just said to you. You know, you have to respond to that yeah. because if you don't respond to that, then you've just, you've just, you've just broken the, you've just broken everything yeah, yeah. in a way, right? Like you just like, you did something that was not truthful. Yeah, you broke the, the magic spell of story, right? The, yeah. The, um, disbelief, you know, the, uh, what, what do you say when we, when we put our, our disbelief to the side, you know, our we just put it to the side and suspend you, our disbelief. Suspend our disbelief. That's it. Thank you. And, uh, you know, you break the spell of that when you, when you do this, I was thinking about this as you're were, you were talking, like a human being responds to another human being. If they're listening, they listen to the nuance of the way, you know, they said it, the words they use, the actions they were doing, like they try to pay attention to the physical, physical behavior, you know, the tone of their voice, everything. And then they respond to that and they deal with that accordingly a person who's not listening and often why you can tell someone's not listening is they're not responding accurately to the cues you're giving off. And you know, you're giving them cues and they're not <laughs> getting it. And you're like, you're not listening to me. Or, you know, I can even, I, I've gotten really good at this on the phone, you know, where I hear someone on the phone and I can tell if they're distracted, if they're on their phone or something on their cell phone or doing something else, yeah. I can tell cause I can hear it in their voice. Cause they're not responding accurately to my cues. And I thought about that as like, you know, that's almost robotic. You know, people, when they stop responding, they turn into kind of a robot. It's almost where you have this automated response. You you kind of know the response you're supposed to have and you deliver the response, but this response is not responsive. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the response, but it's like, if it's like a placated response. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, uh, and you know, I, uh, I remember when I was younger, I used to, I used to, keep people on their toes more. I used to be a lot more sarcastic about things. Just, I would play with the meaning of things as I communicated with people or whenever someone asked me something, I would always ask, I would always answer first with a joke just to be more playful. And I could tell if they were listening, but I find that humor definitely starts to get people to have to pay more attention because when everybody laughs and someone misses a joke, that really catches you off. <laughs> you start going, oh, like, wait oh, a minute. What, what, what did I miss? <laughs> what happened? Put your you phone were... away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, anyway, so like uh, my point is, is with acting, I think that, you know, if it would go back to the basics with acting, be responsive, trust in that. That's going to get you a lot further than doing your line right or just saying it. You know, it's not just saying it. It's about my line only matters in relationship to what's going on, who's saying yeah. what, who's doing what, you know, the lines are the least in a lot of ways. They're like the least important thing that you do as mm-hmm. an actor. Um, you know, it's like, I've heard the comparison. I think we've even used the metaphor of like, you know, the iceberg, you yeah. know, it's like, and the lines are just the part that you see. Yeah. 
you know, that's, that's only the part you see, but it's all supported by this massive thing Mm -hmm. underneath it. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's what an actor's biggest job is to do. Well, and if you know anything about icebergs, they're the, you see the, whatever you see on top is usually only like 10 to 15 to 25% of what's beneath the surface. It's this massive dense piece of ice that's floating in the water just barely. It's not like, you know, it's, it's compact. Right. And so I think that, uh, even when you see a big iceberg and you see it above the water, then you know that there's something, it almost seems like it's grounded. Like it must be connected to the ground because like, it looks like too much like a mountain, but that thing is floating. (laughs) And anyway, the water covers all that up regardless. And I think that you know, that's, that's, that's our job, you know, is to build this under, under part. And I think like, you know, it was interesting because, um, you know, someone was watching a scene that I was doing for a play and it was like 20 minutes long and they went, you remembered all these lines? And it was like, I was like, yeah. And they were, they just thought it was the biggest deal in the world. And I think that when you're a newer actor, memorizing lines is pretty scary, you know, or if you're just thinking about getting into acting, but I think as you get through it, you know, your memory becomes so strong. It's just like lifting a weight, like, you know, you go to these auditions back to back to back five auditions in a day. And they're all like 10 page auditions, you know, and you've memorized 50 pages of dialogue and context of story, you know, for this one day, yeah. of, you know, five to 10 minutes or maybe 15 minutes of room if you're lucky and you went boom, 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 and did this and you get none of the parts <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> but you do that and then you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. And, um, you know, and, line memory, if you just do it over and over and over again, it just, that, that, that stuff becomes easy. What, what becomes more challenging is, you know, connecting emotionally to what they're saying, connecting to their situation. And then, you know, I think, um, and I, I'm kind of going here, but like in school, we were always taught, like, you know, if you get it wrong, you you fail, you know, there's something wrong with you. You kind of, you know, you're, I don't know, whatever happens, it's just negative a lot of time if you fail. But the thing is with, with, um, with the scene, if you're really connected to the moment, but you say the, you know, you say the line wrong, it doesn't really matter because what, what often matters the most is, are you connected to it? And the, the variation in the line is not such a big deal because it's, it's that connection. It's, it's staying in there, you know, even on set when an actor who's, who's working messes up a line, you know, and lead actors especially will do this. They'll be there and they'll stay connected and they'll just say line. And then the person will say line and then they'll say it the way they are connected. They won't yeah. look away. And you know, that's the thing about, you know, being in a movie, like it's even easier. You have people there who are ready to call a line and tell you your line if you need it. And you also have more than one take a lot of the time. Yeah. If, well, unless you're doing a movie of the week, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's going in, moving on. Point is lines are, lines are the least of your worries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I actually just last night I was, uh, I was at a, uh, at a birthday at a birthday dinner thing. And, um, and there was a, a young lady who is, who's an actor and she was, she was talking about like, th- she was thinking about taking like an audition class. Um, cause she's like, Oh, I have such a, such a hard time with, with doing this, you know, like, I'm just like, I I need to figure out how to do this because it's just, and, and like, you know, auditioning is, is definitely like, it's one of the worst experiences. (laughs) Like, no, it it is like, for me, it's like, you can make, you can make the best of it. Absolutely. Um, but in terms of just, (laughs) you know, 
the pure sort of face value experience of it as far as everything else that you'll do as an actor, it's one of like kind of the most uncomfortable things that you have to do, right? You know, you've been given this thing, you haven't had much time with it. You've got to do the best you can. You've got, you know, people watching you and critiquing you essentially and seeing if you're going to be this thing, which you want to be this thing, you know, <laughs> but, and, and, you know, what she was saying to me was like one of her big things, she's like, Oh, like, always have this thing with like the readers, you know, the readers are just like, are usually just so terrible, you know, like they don't even like look up at you and they don't even this and that. And she's like, so I need to, to learn like how to like, how to deal with that. Right. Like I need to, to have some sort of like a, a technique or a trick and kind of a thing. And I, and I just said, well, why, why do you like, I'm not to discourage you from taking an audition class. Like you can definitely learn because usually audition classes, I find like they're, they're, they teach you technical things yeah. to do. You know, it doesn't really teach you anything about craft, nothing that's going to help you with a crappy reader. No. <laughs> right. And I said, I, I told her, I said, listen, I think, I think what might be happening is that you're going in with this idea of what you think should happen what should happen throughout the course of the scene. And then you're not getting that because you have a reader who's not responding in the way that you think this scene is supposed to go. Mm. And so now you're just trying to act like they're giving you the thing that you were expecting to get, which you're not getting. <laughs> yeah. And now you're, and now you're just sort of faking it well, as it were. And, and, yeah. and I, I'm, 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 I'll just finish up this finish thought. Finish it up. Go and so I said, so why don't you just respond with, to what they're giving you? I said, even if it's not necessarily right for the scene, right? Like, but that's the reader, you know, like if that's what the reader's giving you, right. Then use it instead of starting like going in your head and being like, Oh, they're giving me this crap. They're yeah. giving me this. It's like, well, you know what? That's something mm -hmm. that's actually something that you're missing out on. Like use it, use that. And the thing is, is that maybe it's not right for the scene, but it's going to show up as truth on, on, on camera. That's going to come across. It's just like, you know what? That scene went off in this direction, but like, there was, I didn't catch them acting anywhere in there. No. Like it was, that was real. That was truthful. And I said, so you've got to ask yourself, would you rather fake it to be sort of more quote unquote correct <laughs> for what the scene is asking? Or would you rather be truthful in what is actually happening? Mm -hmm. Right. And to me, that's a kind of a no brainer. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I would rather be truthful. Right that's the most important thing. Oh man. There's so many things I want to say in relation to what you just said. Um, one is that if you're working for a director or, or a casting director, whatever, and they want you to just get it right, then you know what, what kind of work do you think you're going to be able to produce working with those types of people? You know what I mean? Because what's going to end up happening is they're just going to that's going to give you a lot of result direction. Do it this way. We want it that way. We want it this way. Right. Whereas, uh, I think the best directors, the, the best casting directors are ones that look for truth. They look for, you know, how truthful is this actor? Because the thing is with truth, you know, that 
As long as you give them something else, it will be truthful. And if they keep showing up audition after audition, interaction after interaction, being truthful, you can at least respect there'll be a consistency of truth. You know that you'll get something that's honest in relationship to whatever you're doing. The, the, I think it's a very like amateur idea to think that as a director, your job is to get a certain result out of everything that you need to always like control something. You know what I mean? Like there's a technique in editing and directing you can do where if you want to alter and control everyone's performance, you can do it. Whereas basically you do more than one take, you do three or more takes of every performance and you direct essentially each line, right? And what you plan to do is with everyone is you kind of keep, well, that's my alarm. It's an alien sound. (laughs) I don't even know why it was set. Oh, Um, I think I know why. So, uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, um, with this, my, I lost my point there for a second. So with these, with this direction, you can edit everything together, you cut every performance. And if you get everything right, it's a lot to think about. You get everything right. You could turn people's performance into something very special on camera. It can look really real. It will not work in theater, <laughs> but in, uh, yeah. in film, because there's so much manipulation you can do in post, it could work. But that makes you very limited as a director. You can only direct in film or television or, you know, media. But um, I think that my point is, is that um, truth, just meet the moment truthfully and, you know, you're always responding honestly. Yeah. And I think also you're, you're limiting yourself that way too. I mean, you're not leaving yourself open for something that could potentially be more amazing than you could have thought. Right. You know, especially if you've got some really great actors who are really showing up and really supporting each other, really coming together and, and exploring and discovering the truth of the moment every single time they're, they're like, there's things that can come out. You, you just couldn't even, couldn't even conceive of, mm-hmm. you know? And that's the thing. It's like it, you're, the director is a director. You direct you know, that's not saying like, this is exactly how you do it. Yeah, you it's don't point, dictate. You don't dictate. <laughs> you, you just point, <laughs> yeah. you know, you point a direction, mm-hmm. right? And then from there, it's up to the actors to go in that direction and discover it yeah, to you're... find that direction. And, um, and yeah, and, and, and to, to get back to, um, what I was saying with this, with this, uh, with this girl, there was another, there's another point that I was, I was trying to get across to her as well. Um, which is now escaping me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, you know, okay. So we got, so we got, so we're onto another thing too, which is directing is not dictating. I think that sometimes, you know, people think, Oh, well, I'm the director. I'm in control what you're trying to do is take something that's a machine that's already working and you're trying to direct it towards meeting your vision, not control it and, and dictate every little detail that, that, that happens in sometimes I think a director needs to be, um, a dictator, maybe over the tiny little details about something, because there's certain things that need to be met. For example, if you're directing a commercial, 
there's a massive amount of money being put in through marketing and there's a whole business team and if you don't do that properly, if the word is not said exactly, if the sentence is not said the way it's written, that can be a very big deal. You could lose your yep. job over that and people have put like countless dollars into just getting that script and, and although I think as an actor you look at that and they, they got you to audition and dance as a monkey and do all this other crap and then you <laughs> say the line. This is true. If right. you don't, if you've never experienced <laughs> this being is, in an audition. This people, isn't even figurative. This is literal. <laughs> yeah. They will get you to do the weirdest shit. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, there's a very clear purpose that they have with a lot of these commercials. So sometimes the director needs to be a little bit, uh, a bit of a dictator just to make sure that that result gets met because if it's not met, none of that matters. But when we're talking about film and television, we're talking about, you know, creative arts and stuff like that. I think the best directors, especially in film come out when they are more directorial and not dictator. And they, they take something good. They take a performance, they take an honesty and a truth with all the actors involved and they help direct that a certain way so that it leads the truth down a certain funnel or within a certain scope. Because like, I think the best actors, you could, you could, you can basically give them anything. You can say, you know, I said it's one teacher, actually June B. Wild, she was really good with this stuff. She used to say, okay, I want you to do it like you are, you know, uh, a valley girl. Do it like you're a cheerleader. Do it like I'm naming women. Do it like you're the president of the United States. Do it like you're a doctor. Do it like this, right? Do it. And, and she'd throw these metaphors and similes and ideas and what she could relate the character. And yeah. you'd say the same lines and you would try on this thing and you would do it. And the more truthful you were, it didn't matter what they threw at you. You could, and it was directorial, but she was teaching us how to take direction and be honest within that direction. And it didn't matter what the result was. It mattered that we took it in a way that was, you know, and, and you know, it's funny, someone does a cheerleader and someone else does a cheerleader, guy, girl, whatever, it doesn't matter. And everybody does it their own way. Everybody yeah. has their own idea of what that is. Yeah. And that's where truth far succeeds control and dictatorship and all that other stuff. It direction, direction opens up, open up, opens up doors to possibility. Anyway. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Like being able to, to be open and, and to interpret. Yeah. And you know, you don't always get that from everybody, like from every director, you don't always no. have that movement, that freedom. Um, okay. I got something to say. Go for it. So yeah, you're not going to get that from every director and some people you're going to work with are going to be dictatorial and some people are going to be uh, very controlling. And some people are going to ha- be hacks. To be honest, they're going to yep. be total hacks. Um, and the, the thing is, is if you come forward and you put your truth forward, at least you can walk away knowing that you were truthful. And I think that, um, you know, I heard, uh, I heard one person said to me, you know, the, an actor's success is based on how much work they book. And I said, well, no, I don't agree with that because if my goal is simply to make money and be famous and get exposure, then yes, you're probably right. That is my caliber of my, how I calibrate to whether I succeeded or not. But if my goal is to do really great work, to move people, to change their lives, to have something that is memorable, that will go down in history, to have a, uh, 
something that I could be proud of, something to, to discover something about life and humanity and story. If that's my goal, the amount of work I book is very irrelevant. You yeah. know, it's kind of a bonus to all that. You know, it, it just gives me a new medium to maybe get the opportunity for that. But really you, you have more peace, I think, because now it doesn't be, because like booking work and getting paid and getting exposure is all based on what other people think. So, you know, like who's better looking, you know, who's on this show or who's on that show and all that stuff. I mean, yes, it is a business, but I think that when you make your, that your number one priority as an actor, you're really like, you're, you're, you're running down a really dangerous road. If you make your number one priority telling great story and being really great at your craft and you look at how you can take that and meet the business, I think you'll have a much better experience of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's that, and and I'm probably going to misquote it, but there's one of those famous sayings about acting, you know, and, and what the theater is. And it's because the theater is this, this great, like this great lie to tell the truth you know, cause none of it's real, mm-hmm. but it's to tell the truth where, and in our lives, like we say, it's like, Oh, well, this is the truth. But we, for the most part, live this massive lie. You know, we tell ourselves these stories and these illusions about what we do. And yeah, like, it's like, you're like, what you're saying is like, it's you you have to I'm not with it this morning. Radio silence. <laughs> Radio like, silence. Everyone's on the edge no, of the No, no, no. Right I now. know, I know. This keeps this keeps happening to what's me today, going, but what's going on? But um um well, okay. Um no, I had it. I had it. Some. It happens. I had, I know it does. It does. It um, does. This is what happens on Sundays. <laughs> I don't know this is what happens when we don't have to focus. But um well, you know, yeah. Okay. So here, here, here okay, we go. Okay. Here we go. And, and for me, it's like, this is a question. If you, if you are an actor, you know, and we're, and you know, you're, you really want to make a go of it, you know, like as taking this on is like, this is what you want to do. This is part of your life. Right. It's like, do you, do you want to just achieve this thing? You know, book this parts? Do you want to just bend, bend at the will and just, just to please, do you want it? Is that how you want to base your work that you do is just to please other people to say, it's like, Oh, well, this is what, you know, I think they want, right. Or do you want to actually have the experience of what it is at its highest level, mm-hmm. which is to have a true, have a truthful experience an alive experience. Is that what you want to go for in your work? Because to me, it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want a career if I'm just, if I'm just doing this thing and you're like, Oh, well, I, I don't know. Like, what do you want to do in this? Like, yeah, you have to be open. Like it's like, it's a collaborative thing, you know, it's, but if you're working with a great director, you know, but I mean, if you're not working with a great director, is that what you want? Mm-hmm. You want to continue to work with not, great directors who are just churning out, you know, mm-hmm. churning shit out. And yeah. it's just about like, okay, do this and do this and stand here and, and say it like this. Yeah. 
That sounds awful to me. It sounds awful. And you know what? I think that, um, I think so many actors, uh, because they, they want that recognition. They want to be known. They want to be validated, all that. They, they are willing to subjugate themselves to be servants to the industry. And if I look at anything about any star actor I've met, even the star directors, you know, um, that I've met, they're not servants to the industry. They don't, they don't, they're not there to serve anybody. They're only there to serve the story. That's it. They're there to serve something, some kind of truth up. That's it. They're not servants to anybody. And I think when I look at like the day player actor or the, you know, the director, you know, the directors who just kind of do these movies of the week and stuff like that. And not to say that there's, if you're doing that, not to say there's anything wrong with you, but if you want to expand beyond that, it's got to be more than about serving what everybody else wants of you. Like professionalism is being able to show up with a consistent certain amount of performance level. It's, it's, it's being able to keep your word. It's being able to be there on time. It's being able to do the job technically right. It's, yeah. That's professionals. Easy. Professional is simple. Read a book on professionalism for dummies. It's probably out there yeah. and you can read that and it's simple, but you're so much more than a professional. Be more than a professional, be an industry leader, be somebody that has something to say that is their own truth, that they're going to bring a unique thing to the table. You know, you look at these great actors, you look at these great directors, they're not asking for permission. They're not asking, will everyone like this? I mean, uh, you know, you look at certainly you hope that people will like it, but you have no way of knowing if people will. Yeah. You know, like studios still spend, you know, like big studios still spend, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars on making a movie, you know, like people who, who, you know, know the market, right? (laughs) Yeah. So to speak. And this thing comes out that they've just poured all this money into and people hate it. Yeah. So nobody, nobody really knows this stuff. Nobody knows. You know, no, there's no real magic formula that is a guaranteed success that people will like this, but that's where I feel like, you know, that pursuit of truth. And I mean, you can do that like as a director, as an actor, as a writer, you know, as any, as, as a musician, as an artist, it's like the pursuit of truth, finding honesty. Yeah. Something that speaks to, to us as humanity. I mean, that's what I think a lot, most of art is, is like this is about us and about what this is, which we don't really know what this is, but here's a shot. And art is one of the only ways because we can't really articulate it. Yeah. We can't really articulate the meaning of our existence. Now I'm getting, I'm sorry. I'm, I guess I'm getting off on like a really, <laughs> no, but it, on a soapbox, but like that, like why else do we create it? Right. Yeah. Why else is like, it's like, why do people write, have people written poetry? It's because we, we don't have language for this, for this thing that is being human. We don't have a way of scientifically breaking this thing down to understand why we have this experience of life and what that is. Art is our best shot at trying to understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what you're getting into yeah. when you've, de- when you've decided upon this. 
you've decided to explore something that we have no idea about. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I think that, you, you know, you're not going to be able to take that. You know, I met many people who have been academics and I met people who have been athletes who have gone into acting and they struggle with it because athletes uh, tend to say, well, you know, with sports, I practice, 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 practice. I developed this skill. I got so good at it that I became exceptional in sports. So that's what I'm going to do with acting. And acting doesn't quite work that way because you can become exceptional at memorization. You become exceptional at your stage ability. You can become exceptional at all these things. But at the end of the day, what's more important than any of that stuff is how truthful you are. That's why I think that sometimes you have these actors who will show up with such little training and little experience, and they will be so exceptionally beyond everyone else. And everyone will go, they're special. They were born special. But you know what? Maybe they're just more honest. Maybe they're just more willing to just do it and not think about it. I think though sometimes when you get immediate success, you, you know, and, and I think this is where sometimes, you know, I've heard of people say, well, uh, you know, acting teachers actually messed up my craft. And it's like, well, it's not that acting teachers messed up your craft. What probably happened is you got affirmation that you were good. And then you started to decide to, you know, let that go to your head. And now you had to live up to that thing. Cause I've seen this with, uh, I've seen this with many writers, you know, and, and filmmakers that I work with where they do something that's really great immediately. And then they have a project that they have to live up to and they, and everything they do needs to be that good or better. And if it's not, then they failed. And before they had ever made the project, whatever they made was just whatever they made because yeah. they had nothing comparable. So the problem is I think that you become your own worst enemy in some ways. And it's not, it's not this technique. And, and I don't think people should get me wrong either here. Technique and professionalism are important. You yeah. need those. You want oh, to be definitely. in this business, in this industry, you have to have that, but they're standard. They're simple. They're, they're not like you can get them on a books. You can get them. You don't, it's not something that I think that's not where the real work and vulnerability and fear are. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like fear is in, can I show you something about myself that I'm scared to admit to another person, you know, in the world. And with acting, the beauty is the the fortunate thing is you get to be a little bit braver than in human life because you get to venture into something either you've never done before, or you get to hide behind a character in a sense, because there is this little bit of like, I don't know if that's really their truth. Like if that, if they really did that, or, you know, but you get to fully live it. You get to live it. You get to fully live it without, without necessarily there being any repercussion Yeah. in a sense, you know, it's like, I get to just fully go ahead and do this, to say these things, to be this way, to live in this way. And I get to walk away from it at the end of it all. Yes. Right. Like that's, that's kind of the the beautiful thing about acting, but it does demand an incredible, um, amount of courage to touch on what you, what you just said though, like in, in terms of like, you know, these people who find like this immediate success and it's like, and then they struggle because they have to live up to this thing. Again, that's, that's, that's a completely an ego thing Mm -hmm. that's stepping in. It's just like, well, I'm like, I, it has to be this thing. Cause if it isn't, look, that was that, that was that creation that you did. And it had this result, right? Fantastic. That's great. 
But there's, again, there's no magic formula for doing this. The only way that you're going to come close to do to having that kind of result again is to do what you were doing in the first place, which is to just purely and as honestly as possible, put your truth into the work that you do, whatever that is, and do that. And you might not get the same result, mm-hmm. but that's not really up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not you about, have no control over that. It's not about results. I mean, that's the thing, you know, is that um, art is not so much about results. It's about discovery. And you will have results. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you will have results regardless. But it's not about getting a specific result as much as it is about discovering a specific result. And I think that the fear is, well, if, if I leave this up to discovery, how do I know what will happen? Well, you don't. You don't know what will happen. Something will happen. Something will come of this. But you can have an idea. I mean, there's a lot of planning that's put in place. You know, there's people who have written a script and they've structured it out and they've tried to figure out what they were trying to do. Then there's a director on board. The director's trying to figure out a vision for it. Then you've got marketers who are trying to figure out how to market it. You know, there's, there's an editor who's going to try to piece together, you know, the takes that he get, has. Each actor is going to try to do the most honest performance, hopefully, that they can for each character that they do. And you're going to take all of these elements and more, you know, the set design, the, the costumes, wardrobe, you know, the props, and all of these things are going to come together in some cacophony collaboration montage type of thing and you're going to come up with a result and we don't know what it's going to look like and you change any piece any person in this whole thing and it can change the whole thing you know weather can come along one day and change your entire location you're supposed to shoot at which has happened to me in film and it changes the story and you know i'll tell you something because we shot a movie a little while back and because our location got blocked out, we had a cafe and at the last minute, the cafe owner said, you know what? I realized that I just don't want to do this. And we were like, really? Thanks for telling us. You know? So we went and shot somewhere else and we ended up with one of the most beautiful shots in the entire film because the sunset was going down over the mountains behind this cafe as we <laughs> shot this girl as she was saying her lines and, we, and everyone's just looking around going, what a miracle. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but truly tr- ha- ha- had we been like, no, we need this cafe. It has to be this one. It has to be this way. We blocked it all out. It's all, you know, whatever the, the openness, the flexibility, the allowance for the world to be the way it is. Ha- we had a result and it was a more beautiful result. And you know what? It could have been a dreary wet day and it could have m- messed everything up, but that would have been a result. But whatever you're dealing with it, you know, you're doing what you need to do. And, and I always say, can always reshoot it. You know, you, you really can. People can say, oh, we, we don't have the budget. We don't have this. We can't get this thing, blah, 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 blah. There's all these reasons why people say you can't do stuff. But you know what? At the end of the day, you need to go into everything and go, you know, if this doesn't work, 90% of the time, probably 99% of the time, you can probably deal with it and rework it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's, there's, there's always, there's always room. And sometimes, yeah, it might take a little bit more work. But the thing is, if you make everything about like, it has to be right, it has to be perfect right now. First of all, you don't know what perfection is. And second of all, you don't know, even if you get it perfect here, there could be some other events or things that could align that could make it more perfect than you can even possibly see in this moment. 
So even your best perfection is not perfection because perfection could be something you haven't even experienced yet. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, if you stay open to these, to these unexpected things that come up again, it can, it can be more amazing than what you, what you even thought, what you could have even imagined. And that's like, that's part of the creative process. I think it, it has to be part of the creative process is, is that openness to the unexpected. Yeah. Because you, yeah, you can fight these things that happen. It doesn't change the fact that these things that you would consider to be these problems. Right. And again, that's just a perception. It's like, Oh, some, just because it was unexpected, we immediately say, Oh, this is a problem. Yeah. Well, well why? Yeah. Maybe this unexpected thing is an absolute gift as you've just illustrated this it was an absolute gift that this thing had. I can, and I can, I can count so many different times in my sort of creative life, whether that's through acting or writing, like just being like, wow, didn't see that coming, <laughs> but thank God it did. Yeah. Because that, that just like changed everything and, and just took it to a whole, a whole nother level. You know, I remember doing, um, I was, I was doing a scene from, um, true West, Sam Shepard's, uh, true West, which is a terrific play. If, uh, anybody hasn't read it, <laughs> but anyhow, uh, I was doing this scene and, uh, it was actually with, because I had different scene partners, uh, in doing this. I had, I worked with a couple of different people. Anyhow, when I put when I put up this, when I put it up for the first time in front of an audience, um, it was with somebody who I hadn't, who I hadn't rehearsed with. (laughs) And I had absolutely no idea what was going to happen. I knew how, how things, you know, there's a general sort of, you know, you discover like a, a sort of a flow with certain people right? Like, okay, this is sort of the way that, that we found this thing, even though we continue to discover new things, but then you're thrown into it with somebody you've never worked with before. And they do something that you didn't expect. Uh, like in this one, in this one instance, like I remember we started the scene and we talked a little bit, I, I talked a little bit about this, um, I think on our last podcast, but I, I didn't, I came in and I wasn't quite at the place that I wanted to be to start the scene. Like in terms of like my sort of emotional, like sort of aliveness or whatever. It's like, okay, but this is what I got. He's walked in. <laughs> We're starting. Yeah. <laughs> this is, it's happening. Um, so pay attention, right? Because I'm like, okay, I'm not here. There's nothing I can do about that. All right. Listen, listen, <laughs> pay attention. Right. And the scene was going in and like I took this and there's part in this specific example. I like, I like opened up a beer for myself, which wasn't real beer. That's a professional thing. (laughs) Technical. Don't drink real beer when you're working. Use a beer bottle. It's not professional. (laughs) Fill it with club soda. (laughs) Um, but so I opened up this beer and then like, and then he took it from me and it was my only one. (laughs) it was the only one. (laughs) And it could have been like this thing where I'm just like, 
I'm like, oh shit, you know, this was like, I was going to be drinking this beer throughout the scene and now I don't have it. <laughs> right. But like that didn't even enter the equation no. for me. Right. Because no. it was just like, you know, it was, I was in the middle of doing Meisner work. So it's just like, whatever happens, man, go with it. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned into this thing. Like we actually got into a fight and we're playing brothers. Right. And here we are. We're holding, we're each holding on to this beer bottle, like fighting over this beer bottle. And it was unbelievable. Next thing you know, I was just so like angry at him and so engaged in what was going on. And it was totally unexpected, but I was like, what a gift. Yeah. Right. What a gift. Cause now I was a hundred percent like into what was happening. Yeah. Into what was going on. And it was just like, you've got to be open to it. Yeah. If I had said, Oh, he took it. Like I would have just like, not like what, what good would have come of that? No. You know, it's interesting is I remember being on a movie one time where we were rehearsing the scene or something that I think they were like, let's just shoot the rehearsal. Let's just do it. And, um, I remember like I kicked my feet up on the table while we were talking and it was kind of like set deck had, you know, done whatever. And I just like, I think I probably kicked a bunch of crap off too. I just like did it. <laughs> and I wasn't really thinking I was in the scene. And I remember the director came to me. He's like, I loved it when you kicked your feet up. Let's make sure we do that every take. Right. <laughs> and then every, every, the next two times we did it, right. I was really new. I was brand new to acting really. It was one of my first films. And, uh, I remember we, I kept kicking my feet up and I kept being like, this doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel the same way anymore. I yeah. didn't really have the understanding about how to do this, but eventually like he was a pretty good director. Eventually we kind of figured it out, but it was, um, yeah, it was interesting because I remember really thinking like when I did the feet, like such a silly technical thing, but they yeah. wanted to get the shot and they, and they really liked the way it played and all this other stuff. But the time I wasn't thinking about, my point is I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm going to kick my feet up. This will look really cool. Like I was just kicking my feet up because it, I felt at home in the scene talking to this other person. I just felt like I, I dropped the whole idea that yeah. we were even shooting with a camera. But then the next few takes, I was thinking about the fact that I need to kick my feet up. So, I mean, uh, maybe you can respond to that whole thing, like that struggle as an actor. But sometimes yeah. I think you do get a direction where, and, and it's valid, you know, like visually they want to make it look a certain way. And you can always say no. You can say, well, let me just see what happens. But if you had to say kick your feet up, right? How, how would you say, like, how, how do you stay in the moment with that and make sure that, you know, what's, what do you think? Like from a Meisner point of view? Uh, you know what? I think that probably the problem is that, you know, that you might've been facing was that you're just thinking about it too much. Right. You know, it's like, okay, you want me to continue to do that again? All right. Shelve it. Completely put it out of your mind and then re-engage in, in from where the scene starts. You've got, and you've got to, you've got to discover it again for the first time. Yeah. You have to discover the truth of it at the first time and trust that that moment is going to happen again. Right. Like it's one of those things like, you know, the, in the back of your mind, when you're, when you're, you know, when you are in the middle of a scene or something, you know, and you, there's always this part of you that is aware Mm -hmm. that you're doing this thing right? But it's, it's way, it's way buried in the back, right? Cause most, cause like your focus has to be on what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember, 
Uh, there's that story. I think it was uh, it was a story that Larry Moss use, uses in his book, The Intent to Live. And I can't remember the name of the actors. They were like these old, like, like back in the day, like, Broadway, like, they did a like a national tour and they were a husband and a wife and they were, I can't remember what play it was, but they were, they were husband and wife in real life, in real life, oh. in real life. And, uh, they're doing this tour and, and, uh, he had this line in this one scene where he, um, you know, where he asks for like, he asks for a cup of tea and based on the circumstances of what's going on and like for, you know, the first while run of like few months of the run of this play, it always got this huge laugh, right? It got this massive laugh from the audience. It was hilarious. And then at one point it didn't get a laugh. He stopped getting a laugh. So he says, he says to his wife, like at the end of the show, he was just like, it's like, you did something, you did something different. Like we didn't get the laugh on that line. Like, <laughs> Like, make sure that, like, whatever it is that we're, and so she's like, okay, right? Like, I'll... so they put, and this was the beginning yeah, of the end the of the relationship. Yeah. <laughs> so the next night, like, happens again, right? Like he's, and, and he comes out with this line or he's like, get me this cup. And you're like, like, bring me my tea or whatever it is. And no laugh. Right. So now he's a little angrier and he's just like, listen, I don't know what's happening. You know, like, <laughs> like, but I'm, but I'm, I'm doing this the way I've always done it. You have to be doing something different. So like, like, like blaming. Like, yeah. yeah. So he was, she was, she's like, all right, fine. Like, like I, like she doesn't really know <laughs> what, what he, he wants from her. Next night happens again, ask for the tea, no laugh. And now he's furious, right? He's just like, <laughs> it's like, listen, I'm doing this the same as I've always done it and blah, 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 blah. And freaking out at her. And she says to him, it's like, why don't you stop asking for the laugh and start asking for the tea? Oh, right. <laughs> and it was just like this. I was like, oh, that's such a great story. You know, it's like one of these great theater stories because it's like, yeah. Like stop asking for the laugh and commit to what you're doing hmm. because that's what happened is he wasn't committing to this whole thing of, of him asking for this tea and what that actually meant. Right. And I think from after that point, like he, he kind of like, Oh, and he started getting the laugh again because it was just like, yeah, it's not about because like there's this is supposed to be funny, mm -hmm. right? It's, it has to do like, and I've had those experiences as well, where it's just like, you, you get a laugh from a line, you know, from an audience that you didn't even know was going to happen. Yeah. Right. But like, just there's something out of your commitment to, <laughs> to that moment that like just hit people. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so funny that that totally happens. I mean, I was thinking of, I think it's Shanley who did Italian American Reconciliation, right? Yep. And there's a line by Aldo Scalicchi, and he says, uh, "You know, I didn't want to lay in this. I didn't want to lay in the sandbox and play dead. I wanted to play house, you know, or whatever." He kind of <laughs> says this thing, but like, then I did that scene, and uh, and everybody would always laugh at that line. But the thing is, I remember when I was saying that line, I wasn't thinking about anybody laughing. In fact, it, when I looked at it later, 
And I saw that because they had filmed it. I saw that people laughed at that point when they were like the whole audience. I thought, wow, how silly was I to think that was so important. But as Aldo Sklicky, while I was playing that character, I just remember trying to connect with this woman and say, I really like, I just wanted you to like, like accept me. I wanted you to like me. That's all I was trying to say to her. Yeah. But then he says it in this really funny way about like, she's stabbing him with a rubber knife and he's like, you know, I didn't want to, like, I didn't want to play dead for you so you could be happy. I wanted to play house. I wanted to like, I wanted to pretend to be your wife and, and family yeah. and stuff. Right. And I remember when I was doing that scene, I was connecting to like, you know, my sense of relationship, my sense of love, my sense of wanting. And, and when I said the line, it was so truthful, but everyone finds it so funny because it's like you know, just the way in which the truth kind of comes out. And, and I think Shanley's a brilliant playwright. Oh, but yeah. that's the thing is that if you are looking for the laugh, you're not going to get it, of course. But if you're really truthful, truth has a, an amazing response in audiences. You know, when people, when people see someone really connected to something, they have all sorts of reactions and interactions with it. And I think also sometimes one, one of the things I learned from doing that play was that sometimes people don't necessarily laugh in a moment. And you might think that because they didn't laugh or they laughed at some other point at it, that, that when they laughed, they actually had more of an emotional effect. But I had people saying, you know, they saw it a few times and they said, you know, the, the first time I saw it, I real laughed at that moment. But the next moment, and this was a gift, you know, an audience member shares this stuff with you. The next moment I cried and I don't hear the crying they're feeling it. Yeah. They're, and then, and when I heard that, when they told me that I got emotional and I thought, Oh my God, like you connected so much that moment. Like I'm crying in the scene. Yeah. But most people were laughing, you know, but the next time they were crying. And the thing is, is that cause there was so much hurt that was being, you know, I just remember, I remember even now as I'm telling to you, I'm emotional now. I can see you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there was so much hurt that I felt at that time in my life when I was trying to express that point in the monologue, whatever, that, that when they connected to that, it, it, when they told me that it, it made me realize that, wow, like I was being so honest for a moment that someone actually got to see, they actually connected viscerally to how I felt to some degree. And I thought, wow, like, if, you know, if, if only, if only I could learn how and, and have enough trust in myself to be able to do that consistently and not get in my own way. But I mean, I think that's what we're all aiming for. But I think that, you know, uh, my point really, if I can bring it all back around is that don't base your, your, your acting necessarily on the, on the response of the audience. You don't know. Sometimes a laugh is not the best response just because you hear it and you get that validation. Cause there's nothing like being on stage and you know, something's funny and then you get that validation of the laugh, but sometimes there might be more going on than meets the eye, you know what I mean? Or meets the ear <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I and, think- and the thing is like any response that you, you get from an audience, you know, like whether it's laughter, whether it's shock, whether it's, you know, it's sorrow, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it doesn't matter what the response is because those responses are all, those are all things that, that happen to somebody based on what, what's, what they've just witnessed, you know, and it's a recognition of truth. 
you know, every single time that happens, it's a, it's the, it's you as an audience member recognizing something truthful Mm -hmm. in what's going on. And I mean, and Shanley's, Shanley's brilliant. Like if you've never read a John Patrick Shanley play, like, please, you owe it to yourself. (laughs) Go and get like 13 by Shanley or something. Go and read, you know, Danny in the deep blue sea, four dogs and a bone, Italian American reconciliation. (laughs) Like, Oh, Oh, I love it. That guy is so big. And you know, when you, when, uh, when you, when, when, when actors really take it as big as he meant it, I mean, it's quite amazing. Oh yeah. He has such a, uh, an incredible way of, of communicating these really big human things mm-hmm. in these peculiar places and in these peculiar ways. Yeah. Like it's like, he just like, he just, Oh, like ugh, ugh. <laughs> respect, 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 man, respect to Mr. John Patrick Shanley. So, uh, okay. Two things. Um, but first, before we get into anything else, actually, let's just stop for a second. Yes. And let's recognize the beer that we have. Let us drinking. recognize. <laughs> um, so this is from parallel 49 brewing co and it is called the Salty Scott Caramel Scotch Ale, 7.5%. Ooh. And it's, uh, and, and I describe it as a tasty treat. <laughs> it is. It is definitely, um, yeah, it is uh, caramelly for sure. Yeah. You know, so when I, when, I, uh, when I went there and I was tasting some of their beers, and I was like, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want to get like kind of a, a heavy beer or whatever I kind of, you know, and so I was like, oh, let's just, I'll just do a little, I'll just do a little taster of it. And I tasted it and I was like, wow, it's like really delicious, but it actually is not as heavy as you think. I don't know. No. You think caramel, like I love caramel, don't get me wrong, but in ale and you think, oh, it's going to be this heavy beer, 7.5%, but I yeah. actually find that it's like, it's like a, a nice, it's, it's, ta- it's really tasty. And I'm finding like, usually with really like, sweet beers and stuff like that. I find I can only have a little bit and then I kind of need to move on. But with this, and we've been drinking it for the last little, you know, 40 minutes or so, right? Hour really. And, uh, yeah. And, um, I've been, I've been just kind of sipping away. I'm on my second pint of it or whatever. (laughs) 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 Or glass. I don't know. Just in case you've uh, always wondered how much we're actually like putting down in (laughs) over the course of a podcast. Um, yeah, but it's a dark beer and it's, and it's pretty sweet. I, 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 I've enjoyed it. It's, it's a nice, it's, and it's a nice kind of relaxing, in my experience, again, a nice relaxing beer. You know yeah. I mean? I've got to say, this is like when you said that, uh, you had a, a caramel scotch ale, <laughs> I was like, Ooh, that could be, uh, that could be heavy. I don't know how much of that I'm going to be able to drink, but it goes down nice. Yeah. Especially for seven and a half too. It's a nice, I mean, Sunday afternoon drinking beer. Yes, indeed. You know, not like a, it's not a beer I would have when I was like out partying and stuff necessarily. I might have one of them, but, um, it's something that I, I definitely like I'm enjoying just kind of having as an afternoon beer. Yes. Just as a little social mingler later on. Cause we're drinking a little more beer today. Cause Evan and I are going to continue hanging on, hanging out after we talk with you. There's another beer I actually got from them which nice. I've, I've had before and I've really enjoyed and maybe we'll have it on another podcast, but I'll just mention it while I'm here because I got two from them. It's called the tri- tricycle grapefruit rattler. Ooh. And it's 5%. And I tell you, 
I drank uh, a growler of this with uh, with a friend of mine. We just sat down. We had a we had a big talk. Never recorded, unfortunately. But um, <laughs> you know, he recommended it to me, and I was like, "Wow, this is really good." And it's another one. It's it's a little more fruity. Um, really has a great fruit feel to it. But again, you know, like I think sometimes when you think like where there's this there's the flavor, you think, "Oh, it's going to be overwhelming." But I, I think they did a really great job. It's actually one of my favorite beers from them. Um, so anyway, I would definitely recommend awesome. that one. Too. I can't wait to get into that one. Yeah. So, okay. So let's go back to this truth, honesty thing. Um, one thing about the truth is that the truth is not something that is objective. It's not something that everybody necessarily sees as the same. It's, but it is subjective and it is projective. And what I mean by that is that subjective, meaning that the truth everybody has their own truth in relation to something like, you know, people believe different things, see things different ways and projective meaning that we all have our own life experience and we try to project our own life on everything we see. So, you know, like for example, when I shared that thing about Shanley where everybody laughed in this one particular moment where this person had cried projectively, they must've looked at me and in their own life reconnected back to their own life and how somehow there was some truth in that for them. And they related to that. Did everybody have that reaction? Well, probably not. And, yeah. and I don't know, but probably not. Maybe more than one person did. But what I realized was that sometimes in, and they don't know, they don't know the images that I'm seeing, you know, but it is my true image, right? It is what is truthful on me. And I think when you're not being truthful, you're not connecting to the true images and feelings in you. And I don't think truth is about being right or wrong. It's about just being honest with yourself about where you're at and how you actually feel and not trying to hide or pretend or, you know, kind of create an image of yourself just to almost be your vulnerable you. And that is truth. You know, that exposure of self, that's, that's, that's how I see it. So I think when we talk about truth, I think it's really important to say that what one person sees as true and another person sees as true is, is irrelevant. I think what ends up happening is I can connect to anybody's truth. It doesn't matter what they believe, how they think or whatever. I mean, and I'll take this even further. They could be a racist, bigot, sexist. They could be a terrible person, but somebody's truth when they're honest, when they're open, there is, I think something that you can connect with in their humanity about that. Now, I'm not saying that their behavior or what they do is okay or justifiable or anything, but I think this is the pursuit of acting. This is a pursuit of storytelling is for us to connect to our truth. And also sometimes our truth might be exposed and we might realize, Hey, maybe I don't see the world in the best way. Maybe I need to revise how I think that's okay. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and you know, I've, I've been told that a shift in perception is a miracle. And it really is in, in a lot of ways, you know, a shift in perception is seeing, is seeing, um, I've also been told this, a a shift in perception is, is discovering, is discovering love where there was once fear. Hmm. And that, and, and I think that rings true. I mean, when, and as an actor, especially, I mean, that's such an important thing to, to stay open to. I mean, there's, you know, you're going to play people who are, who are 
vile, or maybe you're going to write, you know, a character who is, who we would say as vile, you know, and, and for the most part, a lot of times it's just kind of given this glossy coating where it's just like, oh, okay, this is their, this is their, our Scooby-Doo moment where <laughs> like they, they reveal why they've done all of these things. It's like, yeah, but you know, this is, this is a way of thinking that came out of something, you know, that didn't just, that didn't just happen, you know, like that came out of, out of a place, mm-hmm. you know, it came out of a place of fear. It came out of a place of, of some kind of a, of a pain probably that has become a suffering that, you know, like it's, it, and it just compounds and, and it's all based on these past things. And, and so you can't discount that they have, they see the way that they do for, for some particular reason, even if it is misguided, even if it is not the truth of the situation, but that's how it's, that's how they see it. Um, and we, and we all do this, all of us, Mm -hmm. we all have it, you know, maybe not as like, as dramatic as sort of the, the mythology of, of storytelling often does it where it's like good and evil. And like, it's just like this apparent, like this inherent kind of force where it's just like, well, in real life, it's a little bit more complex than that. You know, it's not just, you know, this, this person is this inherently evil, (laughs) evil force. I don't necessarily, but again, people might not agree with that. For me, that's my truth, right? Where it's just like, it's like, no, these are just, these are very disturbed people who have a perspective on the world that I don't know how that came about, but they look at it in this way. And it's all based on, on some kind of a fear, some kind of a deep seated fear of some kind, right? It's like, and where does that come from? Well, you know, it's, um, it's, it is, it is unfortunate when people, um, go down a dark path and they want to destroy others and they want to do these really destructive, terrible things in the world that hurt us all and, and hurt people who are really trying to do good in the world. But I think that if you really truly want to be good, if you want to be a good person, if you want to be someone with humanity and integrity and and you want to expand the world, you need to look at, try to understand those people. You need to look at, you know, why are they doing the way they're doing? And, and I, and I, you know, I think you need to look at how did you create it? You know, and you know, it's, it's very easy for us to say, well, you know, I didn't create this thing over on this other side of the world. But the thing is, is that we all participate in it. We all, we don't do anything about it completely. But but the thing is, you know, I think about like, um, Oh, I don't know. Like, uh, someone gets hurt in a relationship, you know, you get hurt, you cared about somebody, you loved them, you were in love with them. Maybe this has happened to people in the audience, maybe not, but you, you love somebody and, and you think they're your world. And then you wake up one day, you find out that they've been sleeping with someone else. They're in love with someone else. They don't love you. You're not it for them. How do you respond to that behavior? You know, and and it doesn't make you a good person because you necessarily didn't become destructive out of it and you championed it and you became okay. Some people have a really tough time with that. Some people that destroys their entire internal representation of what a relationship is. And so from then on, they say, you know what? I'll never care about someone like that ever again. 
I will never treat somebody the way I treat. I will never go out of my way the way I will. And you know what? Everybody is out to fuck me. And they take on that worldview. And the thing is, is that it's not true. It's not true, but it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't necessarily make them a bad person or an evil person. It makes them a hurt person. And I think when you look at someone doing something destructive that came from hurt, people don't just do that. Children are not born being destructive other than maybe curiosity other than to see what would happen if I say lit this little action figure on fire, you know, or whatever. They're not doing it because they want to destroy it. They're doing it because they want to see what would happen. But when people start to destroy for the sake of destroying because it feels good, there's some kind of hurt going on. There's some type of pain. And we need to look at like that compassion. You know what I mean? And I think the thing is, is for us, any of us in the world to say that, oh, I've never done anything destructive out of my pain. Well, if you literally haven't, if that's never happened, then great. Okay, whatever. But I'd say that most people have somehow at some point done something destructive. You said something mean to someone. You did something that was, you know, that that didn't live up to who you want to be in the world. And you know what? You can apologize for it and you can try to make up for it, but it never changes the fact that you did it. And you have to understand that something somewhere along the line, someone or something helped you correct course so that you got back on path. But some other people don't have that luxury. They don't have mentorship. They don't have good teaching. They don't have the opportunity. And unfortunately they do one bad thing and it feels good and nothing ever corrects course. They do another, they do another, do another, and they're all of a sudden they're on a bad path, but they don't see that and they don't see the hurt. And I think that truth, when you get honest, brings you back to where do I hurt? You know, where did, where did I go from this little curious kid who loved life, who was open, who had imagination to having this adult life or this coming of age life where I have all this hurt. And I think that you have at any point in your life, an opportunity to decide that you're not going to let hurt lead lead your life. You're going to let your curiosity, you're going to let your imagination. Right. And the beauty is too, is that and, and this was uh, a, a profound thing for me when, when I discovered this, which was not that long ago. But once you become aware of it, you, now, you then have the ability to not live that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there, there is a, a, a degree to which ignorance you know, like if you don't know that this is something that you're doing, if you don't know that, you know, you've created this pattern, this behavior in yourself that was based on this or that, you know, subconsciously we ingrain this into how we look at the world and how we treat the world and how we go about doing things. But once you become aware, you do have the ability to change that. Like that's, that's the thing. You're not just a victim of that anymore. You don't have to be at that point. It becomes your decision as to whether or not you're going to continue to do that or not. And it actually is that simple. It is. It actually is that simple. It's like, Oh, well, you know, I've always done this thing and it's this, you know, it's this pattern of mind. Well, it's like, yeah, but you know, you know about it, but you're just not changing it. The other thing I would say on top of that, and you mentioned a really good point is that 
in ignorance, you don't realize necessarily where your decisions always come from. Self-awareness starts to help you see that. But once you realize that maybe you are a victim, maybe your parents didn't love you, you know, they abandoned you. Maybe people have hurt you. Maybe you grew up in a really terrible part of town, you know, and you felt unsafe and all this other stuff. You can look at how you're a victim of all that and you can probably get certain things in the world for being a victim, but they will be so minimal what you can get for being a victim. You, you know, and I think that your worldview, if I could give anybody advice and you know what, I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't know everything. I don't know anything really, but I can tell you one thing that's helped for me. And I used to do this when I was younger, I used to play the victim card. I used to say, oh, look at this thing that happened to me or this thing that happened to me. And I used to ride that out in certain areas of my life. And I look back and I would say, I would tell my younger self, don't ever play the victim. Don't even let anyone look at you as a victim. Even if the most terrible thing happened to you in the world, don't let anyone ever look at you as a victim. Be a champion. Be someone that says, this thing happened to me and I'm better for it because of this. Because this is what I chose to do in spite of that. Because nothing in the world tears me down. And, you, and I think that we have this mentality in this world where we think that if we play the victim card, that if we go, this terrible thing happened to me, that somehow that will solve the problem. It won't. It actually keeps the problem in your life. And secondly, the world will give you sympathy. It will give you certain benefits but it will never give you what you truly want. It will yeah. always hold you away from it. But if you champion it, you might not get those immediate easy results from people where people pity you and sympathize for you. But what will happen is your, your worldview will become stuff happens, but I learn how to be better from it. And I think that, you know, we all have terrible stuff that happens in our life to, and it's all relative and it doesn't matter if it's worse for someone or not so bad for you, to you, it was the hardest thing you had to go through. So for that, you might as well look at it and go, how did this hard thing make me better? Cause I'm still, God damn it. I'm still alive. Yeah. You know, like when you, when you, when you play victim, it's like, I'm dead. Since this moment, something died in me. They lost something. They took it from me. It never happened. It doesn't matter what happened. You know, I had, I had, uh, someone I love, I'll share this story and I'm not going to share who, but I, someone I love, they were so upset with me. They strangled me when I was younger. And I, and I remember in this moment I had wounds from it. And I thought I was in the moment. I remember thinking, I remember thinking I'm going to die. This person wants to kill me. And that I felt a victim to for so many years, you know, but I look at it now and I go, you know what? I love this person and I totally, I totally understand why they did it. And this might sound crazy, but they were so hurt. They were so hurt and felt so unloved in their life. And I think about them and I, I've experienced that in my life where I, I, I've, I've gone through a moment in my life where I felt so unloved and I, and I, and the person who, who quote unquote hurt me, I look at them and I go, you know what? We lived through that together. I'm alive. You're alive. You know, whatever there was a period in my life where I hated that person. I yeah. thought they were so terrible, but now I love them. And I think, man, and they're, they're, they're actually a person that I connect with on a regular basis now. And I look at them and I go, I used to think that was the biggest deal in the world. And people, if I told them this person strangled me, they did this thing, they, they attacked me. 
Of course, they're going to buy into my story. They're going to go, this person's terrible. They're going to go, they're terrible with me. And they're going to allow me to be the victim. And they're going to hate this person with me. Yeah. But what good does that do? You know what I mean? But if they go, if I go, you know what? This thing happened. It doesn't really matter who people can go on the other end. Well, this is, this is, this guy's crazy. They can go, you're crazy, but you know what? But I'll tell you this thing, being a champion of that gives me a lot more inner peace and it is a lot more freedom. And, and also I don't have people in my life looking at me like a victim. I don't want to be seen in my life as some victim. Yeah. I want to be seen as my life as someone who, you know what? I've seen some stuff and I lived through it and you know what? It'll never happen again because I'm not that same person I was when it happened. But, but even if something more terrible happens, you know, the, you know, the thing is, is that you look at it and you go, what am I going to do now? Cause nothing's going to change the past. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, pain is a teacher. Mm-hmm. Suffering is optional. Yes. You know, um, yeah, it's, it's, That's it's great. really quite extraordinary. And I, I mean, it's, and it's not to say it's like, you know, and, and because I've never, I've always like, I've never liked the whole thing where it's just like, well, you know, suck it up, you know, like (laughs) blah, blah, get over it. Like there is a truth in it. And it's, if there's a harshness to it, which I'm like, well, it's not the most compassionate way because there is a degree to which, you know, we need to look, look at ourselves compassionately. Um, you know, like there are things that, that happen where it's just like, you know what, I, you're not at fault, you know, whether, that's because of, you know, maybe you were, you were young, you know, you didn't, but, or you were just at a place in your life where you just didn't know better. You literally just did not know better. So therefore you're not at fault for whatever this thing is that happened. But when you know, now you have some power over this thing. Now you can decide whether you're going to let this thing. And a lot of people don't, you know, and, and I know for myself personally, where you're just like, you know, you let these things, you know, they, because they do, they give you something, you know, like if you, if you are a victim of something, or if you choose to just be angry about something or, you know, like, Oh, this person. And like, like, and you just want to blame, like it, it does feed us in some way. Like we, we get something from it, but at the end of the day, it doesn't make us happier. It doesn't, it doesn't make our lives more joyful. And if our lives aren't, don't have joy, then like, then what's the point? But the, the, the thing is like you, but you do actually have some control over that, mm-hmm. which is what, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize it's like, no, you have some control over that. You can hold on to this. You can hold on to this hate. You can hold on to this fear that you're aware of you know, that you know, that you do, that you know, exists and that you've kind of cultivated (laughs) in a way you've, you've given strength to by feeding it. You know, you continue to feed this thing. It's like this happened and this is the way I am. It's like, no, but now that you know, you know, you know, it doesn't have to be that anymore. And, and that's not to, and again, it's not to be like, yeah, so suck it up. You know, like, it's it's like, it's like, you don't, have to be that anymore. Like you can let that go Mm. and it not, it's not necessarily easy, but you can do it and you're going to be thankful that you did it. Yeah. Well, how often do people, and I mean, I ask this to everybody, anybody who's listening, including yourself, how often have you, or have you seen yourself ever 
justify an action that you did today because of something that happened to you in the past, good or bad. If you're carrying bad incidents, bad, and I quote this, bad incidents that happened in your past, how are they justifying your current behavior today? You want to understand a bad guy? You want to understand an evil person? Just know that the bad incidents that happened in their life previously are how they're justifying their actions today. If you don't want to be a bad guy, don't justify your actions, good or bad, today on what happened in the past. Justify your actions today based on who you want to be right now. Yeah. That's it. That doesn't matter. Your past is irrelevant. It could have been made up. You know, there is no, that's just a story. You know, you don't know. And what you looked at one day, you'll look at it differently another day. And I think that, um, you know, uh, this whole thing with victimhood and whatever, sometimes things will happen to you that will be, that will hurt you. You know, you'll feel emotional. You, it, it's not, it's okay. I think it's okay to, to experience the feeling of being a victim to something. It's okay to experience your pain, to feel your hurt. It's okay to be depressed or whatever experience you're having. That's not, I'm not saying that that's not bad, but I think that you want to look at what kind of behavior am I doing now moving forward. And I don't want to justify my behavior today and moving forward based on this way that I feel, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about this Evan and I was saying, you know, two of my clients just this week completed their first feature film of their entire life. And I've been struggling, you know, I've been struggling this last few weeks that, you know, place flooded. I haven't been paid for my jobs that I've been working. You know, there's a few things that are like, whatever I can list it off. doesn't matter, but I've been a little bit, I've been challenged. I've been going, okay, well, geez, like, can this stuff just work already? And, uh, and things are starting to kind of mend, but I, I, I kind of realize, you know what? I helped two people write the first features of their, of their life just this week. It was just something that happened. And, and, you know, there's this part of me that goes, yeah, yeah, I just do that. That's something I do. But I thought, I remember when I wrote my first feature and how rewarding that felt and how that changed my life and how that was something that I realized, wow, like I've accomplished this thing that so many people in the world never do and only ever talk about. And two people in my life have just done that. And you think about that and you go, and I had, I had, I participated in that happening and you go, well, sometimes I think we lose perspective. We get focused on these things that aren't working in our life and we take for granted the things that are working. And so my point of the matter is that our perception is a little bit sometimes, um, off track. Mine was before you and I talked this morning, mine, mine, I realized was a little bit off track. And I think it's good to recalibrate yourself and go, wait a minute, what's going right. And it didn't matter how I felt. I still was doing my job, you know? And I think that we can look at that. We go, regardless of how much of a victim I feel, regardless of how, how my past happened or what I'm a victim to, I don't know. It might've repeated that, but anyway, how am I going to be and what I'm going to do and what's working, you know? And if you continually do the things you care about, then things will work and your feelings are just, they're, they're, they're so inaccurate to what's really going on. You know, I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling challenged. I'm feeling, you know, like annoyed. And then meanwhile, um, these things are going on. So my emotions are not accurate to how my life is actually progressing right now. In fact, my life is progressing in a way, in many ways better than it ever has. Yeah. And your emotions are also subject to your perception of things too. Yes. You know, you have this perception of, 
of, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, these things are going on and this and that and, and the other thing, you know, and now that's just fed your emotions. But then it's like, well, it's, it truly is a matter of perception. Yeah. It's always a matter. It's almost always a matter of perception. I'm, I'm learning. You know, I used to say this thing in my movie maker class, the first class I ever taught, I used to say this all perception all the time. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, it's funny because actually, as you said that I was reminded of that and I go, yeah, it's true. It's all perception all the time. If you always think about it that way, how are you perceiving the whole thing? Oh yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's remarkable that like, even like you and I Mm -hmm. can sit here together and actually agree on anything. It's amazing that we can agree on anything with anybody in the world, truly, because we all have had such unique and nuanced experiences of life based on, you know, our, you know, social, economic, you know, sort of like, (laughs) like raising who our parents were, you know, where we went to school. Like it's, we've all we've all come up against, you know, our own, um, struggles as well as advantages. You know, we've all like had, had our experiences of life that have taught us something and they're all so unique and none of them are right. And none of them are wrong, which is the extraordinary thing about it all. Yeah. And your truth is your truth because you experienced life the way you experienced it. And my truth is my truth. And somehow when I tell the truth and when you tell the truth, we see the same thing because I see my truth reflected in yours, even though it's not the same that you lived yeah. and you see your truth reflected in mine, even though you have no idea most of the stuff that I've seen in my life. Well, I mean, I think because it is, I think that that's, I mean, I think that's the amazing thing about storytelling and about art is that it is about getting at these, these sort of these bigger truths, you know, because we are so different. I think that's how art connects us as people is that it, you know, because we do come from such different, different things and art can, has a way of cutting through all of the bullshit, a lot of the bullshit of perception you know, that is not necessarily true. It's only something that we've said. It's like, oh, well, this means that because I experienced it in this way. Mm -hmm. And this is like, that's not, I mean, that's not true. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, one person looks at a horse (laughs) (laughs) to get real random. random. One person looks at a horse and maybe they grew up on a farm or something. And they used to, and they had a stable and they had horses and they loved them. They rode these horses and they're just like, these are the most beautiful, extraordinary, intelligent animals. Another person had an experience with a horse where maybe they got kicked or this thing, you know, reared up at them and, and like as a, as a child and it freaked them out and they have this sense of fear. Who's right and who's wrong right? Is there anything necessarily about this horse that like is either of these things? No, not at all. Not at all. So in a way, anybody's perception in that sense is completely bullshit. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, there's nothing necessarily truthful about it. Whereas I feel art is about getting to the, to these big things that are, are almost, they're almost law. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like we try and find out these things that are like, 
what is the truth of a truth of humanity? What is something we can all connect to and say like, yes, yes, this is true. You like, doesn't matter what country, what language, what religion, whatever you, you know, whatever sort of way that you go about your life, we come together and we say, yes, I agree with that. I see the truth in that. I see the humanity in that. I understand that. You know, I used to have, uh, another teacher I worked with for a bit, uh, Henry J. Ma. Mm. And I know he, Henry. And he used to say every time a scene would happen, if he had a note, one of the things I remember saying so many times, he goes, where's the love? And I think that that was such a good note because it's so true is that you can take all the scenes, you know, I think that you, 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 the most hated person, the person, the person you're in an intimate relationship, your best friend, your boss, whatever, where's the love? Because at the end of the day, if you look at, I think human beings, we have our basic need of survival. Once we meet that, which we all obviously have. If you're listening to this podcast somehow, you've met your needs of survival. You're doing fine. You know what I mean? Right? So once we've met that, what's the point, right? Like what's the point of life? It all comes back down, I think, to love. You know? I think it comes down to our parents, our our siblings, our children, our friends. Intimate other, our friends, yes. It all comes down to that. And it all comes down to love ourselves. Right. And it's like, where's the love? And I think that, you know, I remember, I remember as an actor, like I struggled so much with like emotions, like, you know, like for a while I blocked myself out. You know, we talked about the whole victim thing. When you're a victim, I think you block out a lot of your emotions. You don't want to feel, you want to numb yourself out. But when you feel a champion, you're willing to feel because actually feelings become good. But I realized that if you want to be an actor that is emotionally available, don't ever go to your hurt. Don't go there go to your love. Your hurt will come out of your love. Don't worry about that. But just going to your hurt skips and bypasses the most important element. Where does hurt come from? Hurt comes from the fact that you love somebody or love something and it didn't work out. You know, you loved your dream and it didn't work out. You loved your parents. They didn't love you back. You love this other person. They love somebody else right? It didn't come because you hated them or you were hurt by them. You weren't going for hurt. You were going for love. It didn't, you know, and I think that the thing is, is that it was such a valid point in every scene. You always want to look for where is the love. And I had another teacher, uh, down in Los Angeles, her name's Candace Silvers. I'm not sure if she's still teaching or what, what her situation is, but she would say, if you're doing a love scene, you're going to assume the love's already there. That's what you're looking for. Look for power. And she said, if you're doing a power scene, Assume the power is already there. Look for love. And I thought that was such a good bit of advice as well, because I think that's what happens is that in love, we're often looking for power and in power, we're often looking for love. And I thought, you know, it's such a simple way to look at things. But I think that our, our base humanity, when you come back down to truth, is that what we're we're all really looking for? We're all looking for a certain sense of power in the world where we can do certain things, uh, power and freedom, maybe. And we're looking for love and we're looking to mean something. We're looking to care. Yeah. And I think that all our emotions and everything else kind of stem from that, those little simple yeah. things. You know? And all our problems stem from looking for those things in the wrong places. Sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good advice, Evan. 
Okay, well, let's well, wrap this baby let's up. Let's wrap. Yeah, let's we got. Wrap. We went off on tangents. We went all over the place, but I like this one. Yeah, casual Sundays good. or whatever. Casual, yeah, not simple Sundays. <laughs> I just think of I just think of like simple Jack from like, I know. Tropic Thunder. That's exactly what I think too. <laughs> 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 you There's really not, swung for the like fences. What's, what's, simple, what's simple about this conversation? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing at all. I mean, it is. Simple. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is Maybe simple. Maybe it's really simple. Maybe it's actually quite simple. Yeah. The love, man. The love. Where's the love, man? Where's the love, dude? All right. As the Black Eyed Peas said once right. upon a time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they were the first ones to say that, too. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, why don't you wrap this up with a final thought? Uh, I don't know if I can cover a final one? thought on this one. You know, um... Where's the love? That's it? You want to leave it at that? Yeah, find find the... Always, yeah, I guess find the love in everything. Yeah. You know, like, it's... it's it's ign- Ignore the voice, you know, that, that's telling you. It's like, oh, well, you know, I want to make sure I do this right. And I want to please, you know, be a pleaser of people. And I want to make sure this, no, like if, if whatever it is that you're doing, where's the love in it? What, where's your, your love in it? Not just a general sense. Where is your love in what you're doing Mm. and, and why you're doing it and, and hold on to that. Like that's, it's because you have something valuable to contribute. Mm-hmm. because otherwise what's the point unless you're if unless you have something unless you have your voice to put into it you know that was pretty amazing actually yeah. for someone who didn't have a final point <laughs> <laughs> well sometimes you just um, gotta trust you know what right. i don't have anything that's gonna match up to that <laughs> and i'm comparing myself right now for a final yeah point. you're judging yourself i'm judging myself i'm not in the moment but um, what I will say is... Start. Just start somewhere and see where it goes. Let's see what happens. I mean, well, if I can say anything, is that, you know, I think that acting and art and all of that is just about being, it's just about being a champion of it. Because you're going to have a lot of things that happen in your life. They're not all going to work out. You're going to face disappointment. If you care about stuff, it's not always going to play out the way that you hoped. But that's Okay. And everything I think teaches you to be a better artist, whether it works out or not. And you know what? Don't hope for a life that works out. Hope for a life that you meet up to. I think that's all I can really say. I mean, and I think that, yeah, if you love living, if you love the fact that you are someone that's a survivor, someone that pushes through things, someone that doesn't make excuses or blames others... I think that you will come up with something that will be really special and it will be unique and it will be your own. And I think that's really all I can say. I mean, I agree with you a hundred percent. Find that love the way you put it exactly. And I don't know how you did it exactly. I'm going to re I don't really know how I did it, but, but (laughs) I was going to say you, I loved everything you just said. So (laughs) this has been a real session. (laughs) Real loving, you know, loving. All right. Okay. I hope that helped you guys. Yes, indeed. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.